Today is Father's Day, and I uh, hope we all appreciate our fathers and are grateful to God for the fathers we have, even with uh, even if they would be imperfect and we could see lacks in them. They are they are there. God has placed us in a home and part of a family. And we contribute and honor uh, God when we honor our parents, when we honor our fathers and our mothers. I remember as a uh, a young teenager being very angry with my father at different points. And it wasn't my father's weakness. It was very much mine. Uh, today, uh, I was a uh, an uncooperative and rebellious person at times, selfish. And today, I can't I can't imagine being mad at my dad. And uh, I appreciate him very very much and admire him. Probably you all have heard the uh, Mark Twain quote, which I can't quote, but the thought was that he was amazed at how much his dad learned from the time Mark Twain was 16 till he was an adult himself. And what the point he was making was just how much he had come to think like his dad and to appreciate his own father. The message this morning is for dads, it's for moms, and it's for young people and for all of us, really. I think there's there's something here for all of us. <clears throat> and the first thing that I want to uh, want to think about is a baby. And we have a baby back there in the corner. Uh, glad to have Cameron and Becky and their little one with us. And this is a poem about a newborn child. It's uh, by Judy Unruh. Stars twinkled down on the earth in the night of his birth. Innocent, mild, he was their promised child. Fair as the break of morn, their message of hope, newborn. The future, asleep in their arms. In awe they numbered his charms while he slumbered, peaceful and wrinkled. Oh, his father's eyes twinkled and his mother's heart sang, and they named him Cain. When I first uh, read that poem, it kind of jolted me and maybe you're familiar with it. But I was thinking of baby Jesus. and uh, But it was Adam and Eve and their baby Cain. But what this impresses on me, on, on us, I think, is that Cain, evil as he grew up to be, he was born an innocent baby. And every little baby here, every little child here was born innocent. 
Every old person here, everyone here, was born like Cain, a tiny baby, newborn, and innocent. And what potential there is. What different directions that babies can go and grow up to to be and become. And how swiftly the time goes by. And we have the responsibility, moms and dads, thrilled as we may be at a newborn baby, uh, at some point, uh, especially with the first child, at some point it, it dawns on us, it needs to dawn on us what a great responsibility this is. And not just the potential that they have in life to be good or bad, but that eternity stretches out beyond and we have a role. We have a role in, in guiding them, pointing them to a good outcome and a blessed future. And what an impact our, our lives can be. Uh, can have on these young children, little people. I invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy. I, I want to look at three points here this morning that I believe are roles of, uh, parts of our role as, uh, parents. And, and this, this applies to our own spiritual life and uh, this applies to us as uh, just Christians growing up in Christ and the uh, the first one is to plant and water and maybe before we get into that in Deuteronomy and we'll look at a couple of other verses too is that um this, this is a given as we start out here in this, in this message. That for, for parents to be genuine Christians, for parents to be unified, to be together in their commitment to God, their love for God, their love for each other, their love for their family, in their goals and their purposes, what a strength that is for a home. And I thought about the verse when I was working on this in Acts 1-8, the Great Commission. And, and Jesus said to his disciples, You shall be witnesses unto me, first at Jerusalem. But he said, You shall be witnesses. After the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall be witnesses. So we're Christian parents. And the Holy Ghost has come upon us. We can hinder it and limit its effectiveness in our lives and our mission. But if the Holy Ghost is there and the Holy Ghost is working, we will be witnesses. And first in Jerusalem. First in our homes. And it is, we will be, not just we will do 
some witnessing, but we will be witnesses. The first thing we want to think about is planting and watering these little olive trees, as they are called in some, some scriptures. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 5, a familiar uh, passage often referred to. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Daily, constantly, a mom and dad, parents, loving the Lord with all their heart and teaching their children all through life, in the morning, in the way they get up, in the way they get them off to school or go about the activities of the day, the way dad heads off to work, the way mom goes about her duties in the house, what they talk about around the supper table, a family devotion. There is an environment and there is activity that points to God and godliness. And Paul wrote to parents, to dads in Ephesians 6, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurturing, feeding, watering. Paul wrote to a young man, Timothy, and and referred to the nurturing that he had, that Timothy had. I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And in uh, verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Grandmother Eunice, what was it the other way around? Eunice and Lois anyway. These, these ladies were a great blessing to, to Timothy. These were godly women. These were genuine Christians. And they, they taught him. They lived the Christian life before him. And he benefited greatly from it. And so have we. Let's think about some practical ways that um, we can 
nurture and water, plant and water. Those children that we have responsibility for. And I already mentioned family devotions. And I want to say, I want to be honest here that my my leadership in this area in our home was was not as good as it should have been. Our family worship was not as consistent as as, as I would as I desire for my children and for you young parents with uh, children at home to be. I encourage you very much to be faithful with family devotions. Reading the Bible together as a family. Telling Bible stories. Singing songs. Children's songs. And hymns together. And family prayers. All of this suited to the ages so that everybody gets something from family devotions. Can pray about missions together. Somebody had an accident. Somebody's sick. Somebody died. Pray for those who are mourning. For the soul of a neighbor. Or a wayward youth. Pray for them. God hears those prayers. Children hear those prayers. Young children hear those prayers. And they they can develop and, and share a concern. They can become concerned. And they can be concerned about the things they know their parents are burdened about. It's a time to cultivate loyalty for God and love for God and for God's people and for right over wrong and evil. It's a time that can cultivate admiration for God's people. Read to your children. There's a lot of educational advantage for uh, studies are showing that children that are read to tend to do better academically, do better in school than those who are not. They process language better. They understand and follow things better. Read good stories to your children, biographies of godly heroes of faith, missionary stories, character-building stories. Some would go so far as to just never pick up a Dr. Zeus book or anything that would be so trivial and silly. I, I think there's room for a fun story here and there, but keeping in mind that you're feeding and that if that's the constant diet, a child will miss out on, on the best nutrition for their minds and their souls. If the main diet is junk food, they'll suffer malnutrition. And we're missing important opportunities to build line upon line, here a little, there a little. And tell personal stories. Stories that inspire. And it's okay to tell a story about something that you did unwisely. Uh, Galen told a story in our 
family service last weekend where he did something unwisely. And it's okay to do that if, if uh, it's clear that it was unwise. But if you're telling stories for notoriety, for like uh, I remember uh, when I was in service one time, there was a young man who lived kind of a rowdy life and he's one of the answers. And he enjoyed telling stories about himself, things that he did that were pretty bad. And he kind of got a kick out of telling them. And um, I thought about it later. I was amused myself at different things, scrapes that he got into. But sometimes it uh, lifted him up as a hero in something that wasn't good. And you wouldn't want children to come to admire things that aren't good. Have godly visitors. Have the evangelist in for a meal when he's in the community. Or a visiting missionary. A people of character involved in kingdom work who have kingdom priorities. And whether from a local church or visitors. And it's, it's good to have other people in. People that have needs. But you want your children to understand, and you handle this carefully depending on their age, you want your children to understand what kind of people you admire and what kind of people are good to look up to. And, and the scripture teaches us we should look out godly people to model and follow after and not ungodly people. And we help our children when we give them when they have those kind of opportunities. Church attendance with our families to support and show interest and loyalty that they know we love the church, that we have a concern about the church, and we do our part in the church, that children uh, learn from their parents. Uh, that's part of that daily living out the, the Christian life. And it is a blessing for them from their very young, from a very young age to, uh, to see that and learn that and pick up on that. And then there are things that just life lessons, things they need to be taught and trained in to obey and respect authority. Sometimes discipline and punishment is needed. A child out of order, a child that is misbehaving and guilty and knows that he is, is not at peace. And a home of conflict and commotion is, is difficult ground to plant and water. And it is, it is so much easier, it is uh, so much better and so much more effective to start when they're very young to uh, teach and train. And they watch your uh, example of integrity in difficult situations. And uh, every, every home has to deal with, uh, deal with uh, difficult things. And sometimes real trials come to families 
and how parents respond and how they deal with it uh, is a tremendous testimony uh, if they respond well. But these are times uh, back to like family devotions and reading to children and working with children, teaching them a good work ethic, how important that is to be prompt and to do their best to put effort into things and even to uh, encouraging them <clears throat> to spend some time reading some in, in the Bible each day, even when they're very young. Uh, and to have a prayer time that's uh, uh, that's uh, a very very good good thing to encourage. But these are times that uh, where bonds are formed and relationships grow, and uh, from that young age and those times together, and you'll be very glad for them when your children get older. Planting and watering. The uh, a second area that is very important is to guard the gates of your home. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now this is a call to the individual Christian to take on the whole armor of God. But it points out to us that there is a spiritual battle going on, and we are each one being attacked. And our homes are being attacked. James 4 and verse 4 says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Romans 16 Verse 19. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. He's saying there, uh, another translation says it this way, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints, from Ephesians 5, 3. Neither filthiness, 
nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. And in verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. <clears throat> Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There is an enemy prowling the earth and his eye is certainly on the Christian family and he is preying on children watching for openings like wolves following reindeer watching for any stragglers and as parents we have a role, we have a responsibility in guarding our children. We first need to guard ourselves, don't we? A contaminated, a compromised guard will not be alert enough or discerning enough or strong enough to guard wisely his family. I was reading in Joshua this past week and read the sad story of, of Achan in Joshua 7. And how Achan had a, he had heard the instructions along with the rest of Israel's army about how they were to uh, behave and how they were to handle the things that they came across in Jericho after the walls fell down. Everybody heard those instructions. Achan heard them too. Achan didn't follow them. He allowed selfishness, covetousness to rule his decisions and when he saw these this uh, this gold and these garments, he snatched them. And we know what happened and how the whole nation of Israel was affected and how they were defeated when they went to bring down Ai. And we know how Joshua pled and prayed on his face before God and how God told him there was sin in the camp and how he brought early the next morning how he brought the whole all of Israel together and by lot it went down through and the tribe of Judah was chosen and then a clan and then a family and then man by man to Achan 
Achan was the man. And Achan confessed. And Achan and his whole family and all his things were destroyed. We, we need to guard ourselves first. But then in guarding our families, our homes, we, we must be uh, alert. Children are already born with a fallen nature and so there is that, that innate selfishness and uh, nature that wants what they want and even wants what the body wants. So there's that pool already there. And anything that would come from outside that would introduce to them a pull toward the world which will increase that uh, appetite for sinful things and will stir a curiosity and an interest for evil and feed sinful thinking and behavior that would pull them toward the world and away from God and God's ways. All those things are contrary to the goals that God would have for these children. It is, it is not what our children deserve. And so we watch. We pray. We're alert to falsehoods that are out there. False philosophies and lifestyles. Uh, that wickedness, that wrong, that sin would become less disturbing and more acceptable. There's so many ways that the devil and the world use media and in all its variety in various ways to, to uh, rule the world and guide the world and we need to guard against it. Bad music. Bad reading. I remember in, um, I was maybe in the eighth grade, and from our school library, I took home a book about uh, the Revolutionary War and started to read it. And I hadn't got very far till I realized this wasn't a very good book. My dad uh, picked it up and he scanned through it uh, sometime or other and I didn't find out when. But he wrote a letter to the library and that book went back to the librarian with a letter. I never read it then. And she disposed of it. She was thankful for the letter. <clears throat> Today's libraries uh, many times don't have librarians that would be sympathetic. Public libraries are not a safe place. Even children's sections have poisonous material. I look through uh, just online through some of the children's section of our local public library. Just one example. 
of a book with an agenda. Heather has two mommies. And they summarize it this way. When Heather goes to playgroup, at first she feels bad because she has two mothers and no father. But then she learns that there are lots of different kinds of families. And the most important thing is that all the people love each other. trying to make an impression on young minds that this is normal, it's okay, it's also good. And then there is the occult and magic and ungodly glorification of violence, proud and powerful heroes that smash their enemies with their fists or blow them all to smithereens with weapons. Video games. You know, there's growing research that's showing, and I, I came across, not by my looking for them, but, uh, well, somebody sent me one, but uh, just coming up in the news occasionally, growing research showing the hindrance to learning that that uh, these games and and uh, involvement and so on can have that actually the mind can begin to be rewired and it affects how children can learn and even their abilities to learn their attention spans I know a third grade teacher that was working on curriculum she was from a, a, a a background in the world, hadn't been a Christian until for many years, I mean, only a few years a Christian. And she was working on some curriculum things, and she reviewed some uh, something from CLE, and she said, well, you know, her third graders would never be able to follow that. Their attention span is way too short. They couldn't, they're in front of the TV and in front of video games and playing this stuff all the time. Not, not only can it affect, more, what we'd be more concerned about is how it, uh, how it affects what they're thinking and what they're learning and what this is doing to them spiritually. Just on the learning side, uh, Steve Jobs, I learned, who, who's very much into Silicon Valley and computers and so on, he uh, didn't let his children play with iPads. Uh, only a very little bit, very limited. And he sent them to a school where they didn't use technology. They used books and papers. And that quite a few of the Silicon Valley um, engineers and so forth sent their children to the same school. The Internet. What a useful tool that is, how convenient and handy, and what a minefield of evil. And we're concerned about it as a, as a church. We are concerned about it as moms and dads, and moms and dads have responsibilities for their children. Little children should not be on. 
uh, certainly not without adult supervision. And even as they get a little older, it should be limited and supervised. And probably even when they're older yet, uh, there should be uh, monitoring and a public environment versus secluded environment. We're careful. Watch the friends of your children. Bad associations. Know who your children's friends are. What they talk about, what they think about, what they like. Watch your children. Know your children. Observe your children. What do they admire? Watch who they admire and where are they looking? Which way are they leaning? What are their interests? Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If our children are learning to love the world and the things of the world, that is what is going to... Uh, that's going to affect them. If our children are learning to love God and the things of God and seeing the importance of following God, and if they treasure God, what we treasure drives our choices, drives our direction, builds our character, and ultimately determines our destiny. Our children need to know that we love them and we care for them. We need to be willing to take the time to talk with them about anything they're interested in talking with us about. But we'll have trouble getting their attention when we want to talk about things that are important for them. Finally, the third point, uh, quickly, beseech the Father. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know, after describing the spiritual armor, the verse there in Ephesians says, pray. Now this is for the saints. It applies to families. Job prayed for his children. God has a, the parents certainly have a a, a huge part in in um, bringing up their children in the way they should go. God also has a part, and we're familiar with that scripture in Psalm. 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that has half his quiver full of them. This passage tells us 
that we build. They labor in vain that build it. We build. God builds. Except the Lord builds the house. Except we build with the Lord's help. We guard. God guards. We alone will fail. With God's help, there's a possibility for success. It doesn't take away or overrule the, the will of our children, but it influences and protects in a way that is a great advantage to them. So we pray for God's help. We pray for God's help for us that we can do our part to have the wisdom and the strength and the courage. And we pray that He will work in our children. And we pray for His protection over us. We can't just pray alone. We have work to do also. A few years ago, there was a brother from South Boston. His last name is Williams, I think. Is it Jeff Williams? Um... Steve Williams, right. And he read this uh, passage from John 2 about um, Jesus turning the water into wine. And we know the story and how the water was turned to wine. And the point that Steve made was that we can fill water pots We can teach our children. But only God can turn water into wine. Only God's Holy Spirit can draw and convert a heart. We can teach, we can train, but the child has to choose to embrace this as his own life truth before it becomes Uh, real and alive in his heart. Our prayer is that God would work a desire in the hearts of his children, of our children. May they see an earnest desire in our heart, in our hearts, to love and follow the Lord. I think I may have told this story before some of you have heard it, but Johnny Rule and the and the mule race. Johnny Rule was a horse trainer and he told me once how he had went to some mule races years ago and the mules and the riders gathered on this track and it was an oval track and it had a board fence all around it. I'm not sure how high the fence was. But when the signal came to go, they all took off. And the riders beat and whipped and thrashed their mules to try to make them go faster and get them to the front and to win the race. And he said it was just bedlam, just chaos. And some of the mules went berserk and tried to climb the fence around the, around the track and, and uh, one actually went over the fence. And the crowd find this all just immensely entertaining. But uh, Johnny was observing this whole thing and 
As he thought about it, he thought, you know, I think I could train a mule to win a mule race and win a mule race. So he bought a mule. And he began to work with this mule. And he had a friend to help him. He had this friend ride a horse in front of the mule. And the mules, he said that mules want to be near horses. Their mother was a horse. So he would have the friend ride the horse in front of him. And the mule would strain to catch up and to be near the horse. But Johnny would hold it back, wouldn't let it get up close. And they would do this day after day. I don't know for how long a time. But eventually there was another mule race and he thought his mule was ready. And so they went to the race and Johnny was on his mule with a crowd of other mules and riders on this track. And when the signal came to go, the mules took off. And the riders were beating and whipping their mules to motivate them to go faster to win the race. But Johnny would hold his mule back. The mules were going nuts. And Johnny's mule wanted to be up there with all the rest of them. But Johnny held it back. He wouldn't let his mule get up there in that, in that crowd. Until he got close to the last turn. And then he let it go. The mule couldn't believe it. And he took off. And he began to run faster and faster. And he began passing mules. And he crossed the finish line in first place. Johnny's training philosophy was this. A mule that is forced to run will run as fast as it has to. A mule that wants to run will run as fast as it can. And this is the lesson for us. If we are forced, if we feel forced and pressured to follow the Lord, just out of fear, out of duty, whatever. We'll try as hard as we have to. But if we really if we really love the Lord and sincerely and earnestly desire to please Him and follow Him, we'll follow Him with our whole heart. Someone who loves the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength will be at a different place at the end of the race than one who only says, God is good and I like him a lot. Children are not mules, but we can lead them and we can feed them and we can teach and train them in the way that God can bless our labors and we can guard them to the best of our ability.
want to think just briefly here in closing yet about Lot and Noah, two dads from the Old Testament. And just comparing those two men and their outcomes, the outcomes of their families, is, um, is instructive for us. They both found themselves, we've read the story, both found themselves in very wicked societies. God was bringing judgment on those on the societies that that they lived in, both uh, in Noah's day and and Sodom, Gomorrah, and both of them had families and children that they cared about. Lot got to Sodom because he thought of himself and personal gain first. He had gazed at the lush, green, well-watered plain of the Jordan River, and he liked it. And that's what he chose. And he overlooked the wickedness of the environment and how it might impact his family. Noah was where he was because he listened to God and obeyed God. Lot wasn't a wicked man. He was a righteous man. Uh, Peter says, but he waffled and he compromised. He was ineffective in passing on his wobbly faith and his children were being swallowed up by the culture around them. Noah stood firm on what God said. Noah spoke with authority because he lived what he taught and his children listened to him. Now God had a way of deliverance for both Lot and Noah. <clears throat> the angels came to Sodom and they warned Lot to get out. There was a warning here. Fire is going to fall. But Lot had things to do before he could leave. His children, he must rescue his children too. Desperately now he tried to convince them. Come, we've got to get out. We've got to get out of here. But they didn't take him seriously. They thought he was joking. They may have even laughed at him. Lot was extremely distressed. Noah built an ark, just like God said. Noah's sons helped him. They knew the design was from God. They saw how carefully and how exactly their father followed the plan. And they were careful too. And they packed it, when it was finished, they packed it with food for the animals and themselves, and they saw the creatures coming in two by two, as God had ordered with seven of each of the clean animals. Lot escaped Sodom before the fire fell, but barely. He escaped with two daughters and his wife, all distraught, the rest of his family behind them, possessions behind them, such a loss. And his wife looked back and just froze and became a pillar of salt. And then the fire fell on Sodom. And there were great billows of fire and smoke, just a blazing inferno and a rapidly towering uh, pillar of smoke and ashes. 
Lot knew his daughters and his sons-in-law were lost. His wife was lost. I wondered, did Lot wail like David for his son Absalom? Absalom, my son, my son, would God I had died for thee? Did he regret the choices that he had made? Noah, on the other hand, led his family into the ark, his wife, his sons, and their wives, and God shut the door. And then the floodgates opened, and the water came pouring from the heavens, and from the deep, and the wind whipped sheets of rain against the sides of the ark and the roof, and soon it was rocking in the water, and Noah could look around their living quarters in the ark, and he could see each member of his family. All were there, none were lost. And outside was the storm. And the lost, and the die, all outside. Inside, it was safe, and it was secure. May there be, may our children be instructed and nurtured in a way that plants a holy desire in their hearts and a longing for God and the things of God. And may they be protected and safe. and useful in the kingdom. May God help us to fulfill our missions as parents. Shall we have a closing song?